Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Sweet Tarts dared to combine sweet and tart, but we didn't stop there. We combined soft and bouncy to bring you new Sweet Tarts Gummies Fruity Splits, a uniquely delicious dual-sided gummy with one side that's sweet and one side that's tart, but entirely smooth and squishy. Mmm, a powerfully perfect combo. Sweet Tarts, dare to combine. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store. Like now, go. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the BBC Good Food Podcast with me, Orlando Murrin. In this episode, I'm speaking to Norman Muser about his favorite dish. Now, Norman is a chef, restaurateur, and food writer, and he's joining us today from Leeds. Thank you for coming from Leeds. Hello, London. <laughs> did you have a good journey from I did, Leeds actually. to London? Yeah, it was a um, rather nice um, sunrise in the morning, so beautiful, clear sky. And yeah, so it was a um, quite exciting two-hour journey, actually, from Leeds. We managed to attract our podcast guests from all around the country. But Leeds is a very nice place to have come from. It is, so, isn't it? Yeah. So thank you. And then you, you have a restaurant there. Yes. Um, I'm actually around the kitchen for a Kuala Lumpur restaurant in Horsforth. So it's been running for more than a year now. And yeah, so we've been lucky that it's, um, well, I mean, because Malaysian cuisine is not very big in the UK. So we, we do have our regulars now. You're kind of king of Malaysian cuisine in many ways, aren't you? You're, king? You're, I'm not quite sure about that. Well, you're popularising it. Yes. Well, how would you define Malaysian cuisine? Is it the flavourings or the approach yeah, or what? I think, well, there's a lot of confusion about Malaysian cuisine because um, because we kind of like a very diverse multi-ethnics. We have Chinese, Malay like me, Indians. And the way the best way to describe it is, is actually like almost similar to Thai cuisine. So we use lots of coconut milk, lemongrass, chilies, yeah, so tamarind, all sort of like the same ingredients, like a Thai. And then in what way is it different from Thai cuisine, would you well, say? Well, that's the thing, because when it comes to um, Thai cuisine, it's quite direct. And for Malaysian cuisine, like Malay, like me, like uh, we have all these curries. And for the Chinese, we have stir fries, for example. And for Indians, we have sort of curries as well. So it's kind of a diverse in, uh, in Malaysia. 
it's a kind of bringing together of these different strands. Yes, yeah. So this is why, like, uh, if anyone has been to Malaysia before, then I would encourage them to go to Malaysia and see themselves. Like, or they could come to your restaurant, couldn't they? Well, yeah, well, yeah they, could, they could start by going to my restaurant first, anyway. So yeah. Now, I want to know a bit about your your family background. But mm. before we get there, you've actually had quite a very career background, haven't you? <laughs> Dude, you, yeah. you didn't start off as a chef. and No, I didn't. Well, it's a very typical Malaysian parents. Uh, they expected their children to grow up becoming like accountant, architect, engineer, doctor. So I did that. So I... I went to Portsmouth University and I got my degree in quantity surveying. So, and then after working as a surveyor for 10 years, then I gave up, I became a chef discreetly without even telling my late parents about it. <laughs> so, and only when my late mom was due to visit me two weeks before, then I broke the news. I told her about my new career and she spent about an hour on the phone. Um, she told me how stupid you are, you stupid boy, for giving up your good <laughs> you know, job with salary and everything. But I took that as a challenge. So I broke Well, you've done it for 10 years. So you, yeah. you had to... You'd kind of paid lip service to the career. Yeah, well, to be honest, I actually um, um, asked for my sponsor, my, the government, Malaysian government, to be uh, to do architecture, actually, because I, I, I consider myself as being creative. So, uh, But they didn't give me. They said they, they have too many architecture students. And so they gave me quantity surveyor, which I haven't got a clue what it was all about. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just said yes to it. But they were themselves in the food business, weren't yes. they? Yeah. So, so tell me about the, the, your... I, romantic food background. Well, I grew up in a food business family, so I saw how my late parents worked so hard to raise us. Um, so meet with my sister and my brother, and I kind of exposed to to all this food business. So I saw my my late mom especially woke up at four o'clock in the morning, went to the west. Uh, I mean, fresh market. Yeah, so so I, I actually went with her once, and she was very fussy about picking all the right ingredients for her kitchen. So yeah, so I was kind kind of exposed to all that. And she was making food for her own stall at the market. Yes, and yeah. your father was he involved in it as well? Well, my father was working in um at the at the bank, Standard Chattered Bank, and after she fin- uh, he finished work at five, then he helped my late mum out at a stall as well. And so w- was that an evening market that she was cooking uh, Well, for? they did kind of everything. So they started in the morning with a morning stall selling nasi lemak, Malaysian uh, national dish. And then in the afternoon, uh, they did like uh, the fritters, like banana fritters and all that. That was before. And then towards the, in 1990s, so they've got this canteen. That's when my dad kind of gave up his uh, full-time job and started helping out my late mom and running this canteen. So you've got a family tradition for giving up your day job and taking up food <laughs> yeah, instead. Yeah, actually that runs in the blood, actually. <laughs> Do you have any regrets about this change no, of career? never look back. I still remember my ex-boss. Um, he asked me, like, uh, so what are you going to be then? So now you're, you're giving up your job. And I told him that I'm going to become a chef. And he laughed at me. He said, you're going to come back uh, to become a surveyor. And I never did. I think that's the thing. It's like, if you're passionate about something, you can achieve anything. Sky is only the limit. And you're in Leeds now. Have you am, have you always been in the north or Well, I actually started in Portsmouth and then I moved to Bournemouth because my office as a surveyor was in Christchurch. So uh and then after Bournemouth I moved to London and I moved to Manchester, then well, after Manchester moved back down to Birmingham, then moved to the Netherlands for three years and then came back uh, and then moved to Leeds after that. So it's a, a sophisticated cuisine with a it lot is. of different things and flavours. It is, yeah. 
And I, I imagine that makes it very exciting to eat because it's registering at all sorts of different levels. Yeah, so that's what it put a pressure on, well, for a chef like me, for Malaysian cuisine, like to create these beautiful layers that people can really appreciate. And this is something that I, well, try not to make my food so spicy because like if you can only taste the chili, you can't taste any other flavors. Something that I failed to kind of uh, convince Malaysians because Malaysians, we grew up like eating spicy food. So for us, like there's a kick. It has to be a kick. Yes, I think that some people say they don't like chili at all, which is a, a yeah. shame. But if it if it just does blast you, it stops you enjoying the other flavors. It is, rather, yeah, doesn't it? yeah. So this is what something that I always share with my cookery class students about, like the tips how to cut down the you know the spiciness and all that. So I mean, there's lots of tips in Malaysian kitchen as well that I always share with my uh, students. I bet they learn a lot from you. Uh, well, yeah, about measuring all the quantities as well from my previous profession as a surveyor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I no, I think that professional chefs do weigh and measure very carefully because it's the only yeah. way that you can you can't cook every di- every plate for yourself. So someone else has got to do it. So they've got to that's to true. recreate it the way you do it. They've got to measure it, haven't they? Yeah, that's or, true. Or have very good eyesight or something. Or, or yeah, it's just like um, with all the ingredients that we have here, especially like. Uh, different type of dried chilies, for example. That's, that's my favorite to use in my cooking, my recipes. That you have to be careful what type of dried chilies that you use. Yeah. And they're, yeah, because some they're different heats, you yes, mean, and different Yes, flavors. exactly. So there are more than 400 different types of dried chilies. So the smaller it gets, the spicier it will be. Just Gosh, remember. and how many do you use in the restaurant? How many different types of dried chilies? Well, chili? we have a bag of these uh, dried chilies. Uh, we tend to use that, uh, I think, about a kilo a week. So it's, it's a lot of chilies that we use. Now, you have something very... I want to ask you about your books in a moment. Okay. You have something very interesting on your CV, which is a Formula One. So yes. I can see you on the racing track, Norman. What were you, <laughs> were you, what were you doing there? Well, this is what, like, uh, after I told people that I joined Formula One, people thought that I'm one of the drivers, but definitely... Oh, no. go on, you can tell our <laughs> listeners that. They believe so you. So I was there as a race chef. So I was appointed by the... Um, the founder of Asia, uh, Tony Fernandez, uh, to join Formula One. So at that time, he owned a Lotus team. So I did 12 races. So uh, did they have good appetites, the, the Oh, the, yeah. The racing, I mean, the well, my duty was, yeah. The, well, drivers. No, the, the drivers, they only allowed to have um, lunch, plain pasta and put chicken two hours before the race. That's all they're allowed to have. Well, that's not really going to extend your chefing <laughs> well, only, skills. Well, it's not the drivers that I have to cook for only, but uh, for the entourage. So, for for example, that uh, we had uh, Yano Truly as a, one of the drivers. And so he always bring like his entourage, like about 20 Italians, and they love Malaysian food. I mean, I have to cook for them and all the VIPs I cook for um, take that. So I met all this, like uh, all the celebrities, uh, VIPs and all that. But uh, the fun bit was like, obviously, like to travel around the world with the team. Do you know what really drives me mad about um, mm. motor racing? That thing where they shake up the champagne and spread oh. it everywhere. <laughs> that's that's such that a waste, isn't it? It's terrible. <laughs> I mean, it I is real champagne, is it? Uh, it is, yeah. What's the 
matter with them? <laughs> it's a it tradition. It's so objectionable. Yeah. See, but unfortunately, this is something that I thought I'm going to be uh, witnessing all that. But unfortunately, I was stuck in the kitchen and all I can hear is like, ew, ew, ew. <laughs> that's all. Because as soon as they finish the race, um, the race on Sunday, so we have to do the pack down. So we have to cook for 200 um, members of the team. And so for me, like I have to cook like a big pot of curry, just enough for everyone. And at the same time, like packing up everything and ready for the next race. So for example, like when we were in Melbourne and it was a back-to-back with the Kuala Lumpur. So we flew from Melbourne to Kuala Lumpur. We arrived at six o'clock in the morning and eight o'clock in the morning, we were in the kitchen already. So people might think it's a glamorous thing to like to do like a Formula One, but it wasn't. So, I but it was a good experience. Yeah, I, I think say. it's fairly exciting, really. Yeah, I can still live without <laughs> champagne. Now, how did you get? It? Why would you need to? With all that happening in your life, why would you want to write books? <laughs> well, this is something that um, yeah, I love writing. So, um, and then thanks to Guild of Food Writers as well, actually, I met so many friends. Ah, oh, that's the Guild of Food Writers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I remember that um, during the award events, I have to uh, guide you to find all the rooms because you get lost. <laughs> <laughs> to get, yeah. You've got a much better sense of direction than I've got. Yeah. Oh, that that was comes from your, really... um, from your racing <laughs> days, probably, yeah. going around the track. <laughs> so, it was a really good evening, I must say, that um, to have Delia Smith and also Jamie Oliver. Tonight well, you're event. among them. Uh, <laughs> food, as a food writer, you're a fully-fledged food writer yourself. How many books have you done? Um, so far, well, the first one was uh, self-published. So, my third one, Bold Food, just been uh, released um, in October. October, so. And very beautiful it is as well. Thank you. Beautiful. And you're going to take us through one of the recipes yes. a, a bit later. But what do you get out of writing that you don't get from actually cooking well, live? This is something that I always like. Um, I always consider myself as a storyteller. So I like to tell stories about my upbringing. For example, like in Amazing Malaysia, there's lots of like uh, memories I captured with my late mum, and that's something that now that I've read the book again and. You know, like all these memories have been captured in all most recipes, actually, uh, that belong to my late mum in Amazing Malaysian. So I managed to kind of capture all these memories uh, that I spent time cooking with her. Bofu is more like a travel with friends as well, because I live... So that was written in five different cities during the COVID time, pandemic. Oh. So um, it's lots of like kind of a bittersweet memories. And so I met many friends in the Netherlands and also like uh, in London. Yeah, so it's lots of like nice stories, especially with Maureen Duke. She's uh, 87 years old. She's from Burma originally. And then she moved to the uh, to London when she was 16. So it's like three of her recipes. She allowed me to include three of her recipes. Fantastic. What, what a great legacy. Now, will you tell us about the dish that you're going to give us the recipe for? Oh, this is a rather, uh, well... It has kind of a beautiful memory about me saving my uh, school pocket money. It's called the Night Market's Big Chicken. Okay, so I grew up in a humble village in Butterworth uh, because so Penang was like the first kind of a area, the state that was colonized by British. So you've been to Malaysia before, I right? have, but Butterworth sounds English, doesn't yeah, it? Butterworth very, sounds like it's in yeah, because Cumbria. <laughs> Cumbria. Well, we don't have quite a Cornwall or Devon, but, <laughs> but we have, um, it was founded by Francis Light. So the British um, uh, officer. So, and so we have all these like wonderful English names that we retain. Uh, so the streets and all that. So Butworth is uh, where I grew up. I was born. Uh, so there's a village where we had this night market. So I saved my school pocket money and then just bought this uh, chicken. 
So back then, like uh, I was given like 50 cents. That's, that's about 10p. So to go to school and I didn't share it with my sister and my brother because they were looking <laughs> <laughs> with jealousy. It's like, no, I'm not sharing with them. So, so that was what you saved up your pocket money for. I did. How sweet. Yeah. So uh, and the n- night market, is that a normal thing in Malaysia? A uh, yeah. Market? So back what, in What 19- kind of part of the night is it? Um, what were so, you doing up in the night? <laughs> well, unfortunately, everyone gone home with a full tummy. Um, yeah, so we so that was introduced in 1980s. I still remember that when I was about 12 years old, and the first one was introduced to uh, my village. And yeah, so it's just like uh, because people, you know, most people be, will be at work during the daytime, so they don't have time to go to the market. So they introduced this night market. And it's nice for like a family gathering as well because they have food stalls and so you can get like all this uh, fish from Fishmonger. Yeah, so everything, almost everything. So instead of like having a morning market, so they do have morning market and they also have a night market. And it's all lit up and it has a, yeah. and it has a does it have music? Do you have a bit of Oh yeah, it's always like a loud music, like uh, from the stall selling, yeah, so all sort of things. What makes this chicken worth saving your pocket money up for <laughs> it's, to buy? it's something about this, uh, the flavour, the smoky flavour of the uh, the marinade especially. It's did, very... you, did you then, t- having eaten it, did mm. you then get your mum to recreate it for you or did you recreate it yourself? No, I recreated it myself actually. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, because I remember the, because I saw how, see this is the thing because um, when you go to the night market like that you can see how they cook it in front of you and so I still remember that how they, you know, put together with the bamboo sticks and all you that. You were watching weren't you? I was. <laughs> <laughs> were you like noting down how many, what the spices were it, and it everything? It's just like in my memory if you ask me like a uh, like uh, how many kind of like uh, tables they have. Just amazing how it kind of like captured in my mind. Like I still remember uh, vividly all these memories, like uh, the night market. And I think you said that the they barbecued it, but you yes. devised a way to do it in the oven. Yes, yeah, because um, as is suitable for the, the summer barbecue. Uh, I mean, you can always barbecue it, yeah. So, and then the important thing is that you need to pass it like uh, about two or three times just to create the layers. In the recipe, I was interested that you mm. you you marinate it first, yeah, and then you put it in the oven or on your barbecue, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then do you use the marinade again or do you start with the sauce? Because you've got a marinade going and you've got a sauce going and they're two different compounds, aren't yes. they? Yeah, so you marinate with the uh, just turmeric with a bit of salt as well. Okay, so and then after that, you use the sauce to bust it. So you create like a... So with the sauce, you have to uh, bust it two or three times. Are you glazing it with yeah, the sauce? Yeah, glazing it, right. yeah, with the sauce, yeah. So that's why it creates like a beautiful layers of all these uh, wonderful flavours. Is it a common dish or is it particular to to your night market? It's, it's, it's a very common dish for the night market, actually. It's like satay, for example. Uh, we have like satay, you don't eat it every night, but you do like a once a week or so. So same thing with the, uh, this uh, baked chicken as well. And the important components of the dish, apart from a good chicken, obviously, mm-hmm. what, what are the important spices in it or the important flavourings? Uh, lemongrass, chilli, obviously, and tamarind. Okay, so it kind of give a like a spicy, sweet and sour flavor. And the to tamarind, it. people mm. get worried by, by tamarind. There's the paste. Yes, is is that what we're talking about? The paste that comes in a jar, or what tamarind are you well, talking about? This is something you need to be careful because they 
two types, well, actually three types of tamarind that you can get. So first one is the paste, like very thick paste. Yeah. And the second one is the concentrate, quite runny. And the third one is comes in a pulp that you need to mix with water. Gosh, how do you know which one you're buying, Norman? <laughs> well, you can tell like, because the paste one is it's, it's like a thick, like a very thick paste, like a very dark brown. And really? So like gummy? Yeah. Like yeah, gum? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. So if you're using that, so, yeah. so for my recipe, just use about a teaspoon only. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to be quite, you know, overpowering. Because it's got a, quite a kick to it, tamarind. Is it lime-like? Lime yeah. If you it? don't have that, you can always just replace with lime or lemon. Yeah. It's actually, I interrupted, sorry. No, it's, it's, it's actually really good for your... Um, for your voice, actually, because if you have a sore throat, no, it's not for your voice. I mean, if you're having a sore throat, for example, drink tamarind juice. It's oh, good right. for to cut down the uh, temperature, the body temperature. Yeah. So that's the paste. What what yeah. was this? And the second one that you mentioned. So so the tamarind. So the paste. There's a concentrate. Concentrate. Yeah. Concentrate is the one that's quite runny. So it's quite right. pale in color, the brown color. Okay. And how much of that would you use uh, in your a recipe? tablespoon? Tablespoon. A okay. tablespoon. And with the uh, pulp. So you just need get a knob up of it. So just mix with 100 ml of water. So that will give you like a tamarind concentrate. Right. Yeah. Gosh. It's, <laughs> did you follow that? Well, well, I did follow it, but I think yeah. it's a confusing ingredient for people. And we, if we don't use it every time, yeah. which would you recommend to start with tamarind paste? Yes. In a it, yeah. That comes in a little jar, yeah. doesn't it? It depends it? like, um, well, if you kind of like a, a regular, well, you cook, if you cook a lot in the kitchen, so... Paste is actually really good. Um, and yeah, the lemongrass is standard, the yeah. lemongrass that we can now buy. Which you know, is funny not... enough, because I, I moved to the UK in 1994 to further my study, and it's very difficult to get lemongrass yeah. uh, in the supermarket. But now you can easily get this lemongrass everywhere. Well, normal knives the child, you couldn't get garlic. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> olive oil from the chemist. It's the famous one. You had to get the olive oil from the chemist because it was oh, really? to put in your ears. Oh, wow. that, was, that was before my time. I'm, what does I'm it do to, to your ears then? Uh, it loosens up your ear wax. Okay. But we're here to talk about cooking, not medical. Oh, not not yeah. medical. Issues. Not medical. No. Um, now, you pound all your ingredients in a pestle and mortar, do you? Uh, well, that's traditionally. If you want to do it authentic way, that's how you do it. But uh, for my recipe, I use like just a handstick blender. You With those handstick blenders, I don't get on with them very well because you need enough stuff to yes it, to for it to catch. Otherwise, it just flings Otherwise, it around. Exactly. Does it, yeah. have you, you've got enough stuff here, have you, yes, to catch yeah, it? Yes, yeah, And then is the trick to use a small goblet thing? Oh, yeah, it? you can use that one. But uh, what I notice is like a, what do you call it, small goblet? Like yeah, fruit process. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I, meant, I meant the little goblet thing that you put the uh, plungy oh, yeah. thing in. Into. So if you're using that one, uh, the best is to add about two tablespoons of uh, water. Yeah. Yep, just to give a bit of moisture. So that it catches. So yeah. it whizzes it round. Yeah. yeah. So again, like uh, if you have pestle and mortar, it's the best actually. Yeah. Because instead of slicing it, you crush all the ingredients to release more aroma. Um, and you're, you mentioned chili. Any particular yeah. type of chili, if we get a choice? We don't always get the choice, do we? Yeah, well, you can always just use uh, fresh chilies if you don't have any dried chilies. I prefer dried chilies because for, of the colour. because uh, And then you keep the seeds. The seeds and you off. keep the seeds, yeah, that, keep the seeds. For, the, for the heat. Yes, yeah. for the heat. And then just make sure that when you um, use handstick blender, just make sure it's, it's fine and smooth. Yeah, the paste, yeah. Okay, well, it's it's all very exciting. I'm surprised that you get a better colour with a dried chilli. You'd think that would be yeah, a because, duller colour. Because uh, in the fresh chillies, lots of moisture in there. And then with the dried chillies, you know, like uh, it comes as a dark, kind of a red colour. So you get more colour from it. If you had any leftover, what would you use it for? 
sandwich or you can turn it into like a pulled chicken and make it into soup or something. That would be nice. And something else I wanted to ask you, BBC Good Food is very, very keen on Sunday lunches. We're trying to save the nation Sunday lunches. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever have time for Sunday lunch? Well, to be honest, I don't normally, I skip my lunch. I normally have like a toast with peanut butter. And that peanut butter has to come from the Netherlands because it's the best. <laughs> Is it really? What, peanut butter from the Netherlands? I've yeah. never heard of that. They're crazy. Well, they're mad about peanut butter. Well, I wish we could mention the brand name here. <laughs> no, we we're can't. We're terrible trouble. So, um, yeah, so... My producer is glaring at me. <laughs> I will be no, asking Norman to. for the brand, well, the brand name to, in Dutch. Every time I go back to the Netherlands, because my sister lives in The Hague, so I always bring like two kilos of peanut butter with me, back with me to Leeds. Fantastic. Well, next time, could you bring two kilos plus course, one extra yeah. jar oh, for me? You have a choice, either with the one with the smooth one or with the one with the bits. I'll have whichever you suggest, smooth or crunchy. Uh, crunchy, yeah. Crunchy or, is or the best. Or surprise me. Surprise me. <laughs> oh, you can have both anyway. Fantastic. Um, now I've got some quick fire questions mm-hmm. for you. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. So you're not allowed to think about these. You just okay. have to say. Your most well-thumbed cookery book. Uh, Basama by my friend Francis Kike in uh, the Netherlands. I keep asking her to translate it into uh, English. Oh, it's no good. We can't buy it then. I know, I know. I keep <laughs> it's, called, it's called what? Basama. Basama means together in Malay or Indonesian. So she's half Indonesian, half Australian. And she's, well, she lives in the Netherlands. And yeah, she, she launched this book uh, two years ago, I think, yeah. What music do you cook to? Uh, very loud, uh, upbeat music it has to be like a disco, do you know, like back in 90s and all that. So if you remember, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do remember. push the feeling on or something like crawlers. <laughs> Is that in the restaurant as well? Yeah. So I am so a you DJ. Have, you have big, mu- big loud music in well, the We restaurant. have a speaker. Yeah, we have a speaker. So I'm what a DJ. What do the guests think about that? Uh, they have no choice. They have to listen to my choice of music. So now, like, uh, I put on, like, uh, a remix of Taylor Swift and all that. So anything remix, upbeat, because we need that on busy night on the kitchen, yeah. Taylor Swift has come up before. That's a popular choice, it seems, for chefs. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, your favourite great cheap eats restaurant or pub or market? Uh, my favourite in Manchester, actually, because it's called Seoul Kimchi, and it's run by a, uh, a family. So a Korean family. And yeah, so they they know that my favorite is always this, like a, it's almost similar to like a bento box and have a bit of everything of all Korean dishes. Kimchi is the best one, yeah. And the restaurant, the place is called Seoul, Seoul Kimchi. Seoul Kimchi. Yeah. Um, and something that's always in your fridge? Smoked mackerel because I love this salted fish from Malaysia, but we can't get this salted fish. So so that's the nearest you can get? Yes. I love smoked mackerel. Yeah, so. it's just beautiful. It is very salty though. Really, it packs a punch of Which salt. Which one do you have that? The one with the with the pepper? like? Uh... I just have the, the, the straight kind actually. I have okay. had the peppercorn one, but it's, it's yeah. amazingly I like the, yeah. potent flavour, isn't it? It's always like put in everything. Sometimes make it a sandwich, sometimes make it as a, in an egg fried rice, as a topping for my soup and everything. Yeah, so anything can be smoked mackerel. I've used it for kedgeri, actually. It makes a very, very tasty kedgeri, if you like kedgeri. Yeah, okay. Mm. Uh, Now we have your confessions. Okay. Your biggest cooking disaster. 
Valentine's Day. I hate it. I hate it so much. Sorry, all the lovers, <laughs> <laughs> because my first one was uh, for my restaurant in Manchester, and it was a disaster because uh, I had like uh, customers waited for two hours, and some customers walked out from the from the restaurant because we were not prepared. And yeah, so if anyone served me uh, pineapple fried rice, I will just throw up right away. <laughs> right away. Was that what caught you out that day? Yeah. I can't even see it. I can't even like it. I yeah. don't know whether I, I like the sound of... No. What were you doing making that? Was well, it... it's a famous Thai dish, actually. Pineapple fried right. rice. Yeah, we're supposed to uh, serve it beautifully in like uh, half of the pineapple, put the fried rice in there, and I seriously can't see that. <laughs> or if anyone mentioned about it, I'm just going to start throwing it up. Now, a food you've never tried? Uh, chicken feet. I don't know how people can eat that. It's just, is there anything I'm, to eat on a chicken foot? Or do you crunch it? Do you crunch well, the no. bones? No. Well, actually, they remove the bones. I have no idea how they filleted, remove the bones. Filleted chicken feet. Yeah, apparently it's like full of like a... Is that collagen? or It's not collagen. It's like a... It, I think it is the kind of gluey. Yeah. Gluey yeah. So, and then my friends, like, he he, he loves this uh, chicken chicken feet. And he always, like, uh, make fun of it by having, like, all the legs coming out from his mouth. Like, it looks rather awful. Yeah, yes, because does it look like, it, yeah. does it look like you're eating a kind of tan? coloured spider or something. I know, it's just like so awful. I don't know how people can eat that. My sister loves it. And yeah, so it's like it's like my mind. You either like it or hate it. Just like that. Well, Have you we, tried it before? No, no. <laughs> no. no, and I'm not putting it on my list to try. I'm with you on that one. Uh, now, your guilty pleasure. Well, when I feel a bit low, I always watch something inspiring. So Legally Blonde is something Legally that... Legally Blonde, now, we, now we've heard it, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, but... Um, That's Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. It? Yeah. Something about like boosting your confidence about how she she fought like to get to, you know, to Harvard University. So I love that bit when, you know, I love people like who, who always fight, you know, to get what they want. So that's something that I've... Yeah, so oh, it's your life story, isn't it? It, it is <laughs> not in pink, though. <laughs> not in pink. <laughs> um, and finally, we have a, a nice upbeat question so that mm. we can send our lovely listeners off with a bounce in their step. Um, what makes you optimistic for the future? With what I have at the moment, uh, I think I'm, I'm, I'm to be honest, I'm so glad that I moved back to the UK because with the book out and also as a tutor for Wagamama Chef Academy. And also, I'm working my way towards like uh, becoming a Malaysian food ambassador. I was the uh, Kuala Lumpur food ambassador, and in the same year, I was offered to be a Malaysian food ambassador, but I uh, turned it down because uh, uh, at that time I think I wasn't ready yet. So I'm kind of ready now. So that's something that I'm looking forward to. Gosh, so it's a kind of career spin that you're on. It is. Well, listeners, remember that you met Norman here. Yeah. <laughs> it's been an enormous pleasure to talk to you today, Norman. Thank Thanks, you so Orlando. much. Thank lovely, you. lovely to see you. Thank Thanks. you, Orlando.